Last week at The Edge, we had an amazing uh, message by Brandy Shorey. If you were, yeah, if, if you were here to hear it, give it a woo. Woo! Yeah. It was so good. So I, um, I caught up on that online this week, and I just have to say that it was water for a parched heart when I listened to it. So um, thank you, Brandy, for giving that message. If you missed it and still haven't had the chance to catch up online, she gave a message about intimacy with Jesus and how even in the hard times, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than intimacy with Jesus. And what stuck out to me about her message is just the real authentic place that she was giving that from. You know, you can, you can hear a message and you can hear some words um, that are true, but when you know that the person who's giving it and you know how they're giving it and you know where they're giving it from, it makes all the difference because that came from a very true place for her. Um, so, Brandy, we just thank you for that. This morning, Steve is going to be continuing on in our series, Jesus is Better, and he's going to be talking about how Jesus is a better sacrifice, and man, he is. So if you'd join me in welcoming Steve Van Demen. All right, this morning now, we are, as Joel said, continuing on in our series through the book of Hebrews. We've been in that for a while. You guys, yeah, remember book of Hebrews? Anybody remember that? If you, if you don't know, you haven't been here in like seven months, okay? Um, so, so we've been going through, marching through the book of Hebrews. We've been calling this series, Jesus is Better, because we believe that he is, and scripture continues to tell us so. Um, and we want to grab hold of that as a community. So I want to pray for us. We're going to open up God's word and see what he would speak to us. Amen. You guys ready? If you can, stand up with me. We're, we're going to pray and just receive the Lord together. You, you know, one of the things, I got to just say this, one of the things I love about Sunday and this time that we have together, okay, one of the things that God says about his own word in, Psalm, in the Psalms, he says that, that his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Okay, so God's word directs us. God word, God's word informs us. God's word brings clarity where there is confusion. Uh, I don't know about you, but all week long, we sit in spaces where we get all kinds of words and ideas and stuff that just bombard us, our hearts and our minds. And God's word is a place that we can come to where we get course corrected. Amen? Yeah, so, so like God's word is good. Does anybody need God's word this morning? Yeah, so it's for us, okay? One of the first things we learn about God in Scripture is that God is a God who speaks order into chaos, okay? God, by his word, he orders things rightly. We're here this morning. We get to open up the word of God, and God's going to order us rightly in him, amen? Okay, so we can be excited about the word, yeah? Okay, all right, let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for your love for us. God, thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for truth. God, thank you that it's not relative, God, that, that it isn't just contingent upon where we are, when we are, God, but that your truth is right and good for all of time, for every single person. God, that you love us so much that, God, you want us to know who you are. You want us to know your nature and your character and your ways. And, God, you wanted us to know you so well, God, that you gave us this book. God, you gave us this word, God, that we would know you. Father, and that by this word, God, that we'd know who we are in you. So God, we just welcome you this morning to, to speak. God, come and have your way in this place, Father. I pray that every single set of ears in this room would be open today, God, that every heart would be open to receive of you today. Can you just take a minute and just invite the Lord to speak to you this morning? Can you just right where you are, just tell him, God, I want to hear from you this morning. God, I invite you to speak to me. Yeah, just tell him, Lord, I want to hear from you this morning. 
God, more than we need anything else, God, we need you. God, more than any other word we need to hear, God, we need to hear your word to us. So Lord, come, speak, have your way. God, move in us. Plant a seed in our hearts, God, that produces good fruit. God, we love you this morning. We bless you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, you can have a seat. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. That's where we're going to be today. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to look at 18, the first 18 verses together. It's a chunk. And so I'm going to read this. You guys ready? Start in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasures and sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. You guys got all that? Ready to go? Okay. Just a little bit there, right? So, so let's get into it. What, what is this all about? Okay, what, what is the, the, the point here? What is the author trying to teach us about God, about Jesus, and about, about us, about who we are in him? What's the point? Well, l- let me ask you a question. What is the name of this series? That's it. That's what he's trying to tell you, okay? That's what this author has been doing from the very beginning of the book of Hebrews, over and over and over again, hammering home to us this idea that Jesus is better. It's almost like he actually wants us to believe that. Yeah. But, but, but this is the message from the beginning, right? From the very beginning, it's Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the most religious, super spiritual people that you think are really great. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. You know the priesthood and all the laws and all the rules and all the commandments and all the things you think you're supposed to do to make God happy at you and and get God to approve of you? Yeah, Jesus is better than all that. He's better than the priesthood. He's better than Aaron. He's better than every high priest that has ever come before him. 
Jesus is better. He is better than anything or anyone ever, right? For all of time, he's the most superior. He is the, the, the greatest, the best, the highest, uh, greater than, than anyone or anything else for all of time and forever. That everything you need, he's saying to us, for life and for godliness, for joy, for hope, for, for fulfillment, for purpose, for eternity is founded in Jesus. Jesus is better. That, that, that's the message of Hebrews. If you've missed it, uh, let me tell you, Jesus is better, okay? In particular here, the author of Hebrews is saying to us that, that Jesus is better. His sacrifice on the cross is better than any other sacrifice that had ever been made or could be, okay? His sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice alone, means the full and final forgiveness of sin for you and for me. It means grace forever for us. In some ways, he's preaching Christianity 101, yeah? Like, this is like the base foundation of our faith, and yet at the same time, if we're honest, it's really one of the hardest truths for us to hold, isn't it? Right? That, that we're saved by grace through faith, and that's not of myself. I don't do anything for this. Jesus did it all. Come on, man. That's too easy. That's too good, right? This unmerited favor of God because of his work and not mine. It, saying that I'm saved by grace is, is, is something easy to say and more difficult to live by. The reality is that a lot of self-professing Christians still live under a great cloud of guilt and shame and condemnation. But listen to me. One of the most debilitating things that will undermine your relationship with God and your fullness of life in him is a failure to understand, embrace, and enjoy the full and final forgiveness of your sin. Let me say that again. One of the things that will most undermine your relationship with God and the fullness of life that he came to bring you in him is a failure, is an inability to grab hold of, to receive, to embrace, to enjoy the full and final forgiveness that belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Far too many people struggle to enjoy God because they can't believe that God enjoys them. Maybe that's some of us this morning. And what God's heart is and the heart of his word to us is that, that God wants you to know and receive the truth about his sacrifice for you. The truth about his love and his grace and his forgiveness that is full and complete for you in Christ. This is what the author of Hebrews here is, is, is getting at for us, okay? This is what he's doing. He wants to make sure we don't miss this. That's why Hebrews is so repetitive, because there are some things that, that though we go, I've heard that before, I've heard that before, I've heard that before. Yeah, how's that working for you? You know what I mean? Isn't it amazing that some of the things we can say we know so well we don't do and live? God wants us to get this stuff. So let's unpack this together. Look at verse 1. It says, for since the law has, been, uh, has but a shadow, everybody say shadow, Shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. What's that all about? Well, let me show you guys a picture. I got a picture I want to show you. Can you put that picture up uh, for me, Dora? That's a picture. For those of you who don't know, that is my wife, Tony. That's not just some random girl um, that I decided to show you a picture of, okay? That, that, that is... 
uh, my wife, Tony. Okay? Uh, this, is, this is one of my favorite pictures of my wife. I actually have this as a screensaver uh, on my phone. And this is a picture that I took of her uh, when we were downtown uh, celebrating our anniversary uh, one year. And yes, I am aware that she's beautiful. And yes, I'm aware that I married up um, and I'm doing very well for myself. But, but, but here's the thing about this picture, right? Is that, that this picture doesn't really begin to do service to who my wife really is. Like, like you, can, you, you can get a little bit of, of who she is from this picture, a very little bit. Like, you're like, man, this is a good-looking woman right here. Yeah? It's okay. <laughs> but, 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 you, but you don't get her personality, right? Like, like, anybody who's been, my wife has one of the best laughs, if you've been around. My wife laughs loud. She, she, she has a great, you don't get that from this picture. You, 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 don't, you don't get um, just the way that, that she, she jokes or all, all, all the ways that she kind of holds me accountable and, and, you know, disciplines me in a sense when I need it. If you guys don't know this about me, I'm stubborn. I need my wife sometimes to tell me I'm being a moron. Anybody else? Yeah? Like, I'm not saying I like it. I'm saying I need it, right? Like, that, that, that's us, right? And you don't get that from this picture. You know what the other thing about, the, about a, this picture, about having the picture of her on my phone? It, it's not good to cuddle with. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not a good kisser. Horrible, horrible kisser, right? It, you don't get to experience her and, and what she's really like in the depth of her, all the things that, that captivate my heart, all, all the things that, that just encourage my soul, all the things that she brings really, truly, fully to my life. You don't really get that from just the picture. That, that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about. He, he's saying, listen, all this Old Testament, Old Covenant stuff, all these, these old systems and rituals, all these old sacrifices and ways, they were just a picture. They're just a shadow. Okay, but, but, but they're, they're, they're pointing you to and us towards what the, the real, the truth, the real to Jesus. And the author of Hebrews is saying to us, why, in a sense, why would you ever settle for the shadow when God invites you to experience the real thing? Like, why would you settle for less than getting to experience God? That's what he came for. And so the law, these religious duties, these offerings and sacrifices, all those things simply are, are a mirror that hold up, uh, that, that allow us to really see ourselves, to, to, to recognize and see that, yeah, in fact, I am sinful. Yeah, in fact, I don't measure up to this perfect standard of God, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I fall short of, of God's glory, and I'm in need of a Savior, right? At the end of the day, following the Ten Commandments can keep you out of jail, but they don't get you into heaven. They're a shadow pointing us to the real and saving sacrifice of Jesus for sin. Uh, it's not a popular thing in our day to talk about sin. Have you noticed that? Like, like even when you talk about Jesus, you shouldn't talk about sin. You should talk about all the other things Jesus came for. Like we, we should talk about how, how Jesus came to, to show us the Father. We should talk about how, how Jesus came to show us how to love, right? Jesus show, came to empower us and, and to give us new life, right? To do the things we were created to do and to be. And all those things are right. All those things are good and true. But Jesus came to deal with sin. Any, anybody here this morning willing to admit that you're not perfect? If you didn't raise your hand, you just sinned and you're not now. Okay, so welcome to this club. But, but, but the Bible tells us, right, everyone is born into sin. 
Okay, we're born into it. It's not just something that we do. It's something that we are. It's our condition. Sin is a condition, and this sin, Scripture tells us, it separates us from the life of God. It separates us from relationship with God. And there's not a single thing that you or me or anybody else can do about it, not another religious system, not a bunch of mantras or whatever else you think you might be able to do, not a bunch of good works, none of those things. None of these things can make us right with God. It's only Jesus. It's just him. And this is what verse 1 is saying to us. He's saying, listen, these sacrifices offered by the people, it says, could never make perfect those who drew near. Like, like it, it didn't matter what they brought. It wasn't going to make them right before God. In other words, the, these sacrifices were able to cover sin, but they didn't cleanse the sinner. They didn't change the people's standing as a sinner before God. Look at verse 2. He explains this more. He says, otherwise would they, talking about these sacrifices, not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. How did the Old Testament worshipers know that their sacrifice didn't take away their sin? That they knew because they had to go back and do it again. (laughs) Right? Like, you you become painfully aware of the fact that you still are sinful when you got to go and make another sacrifice. And this is what the author of Hebrews is telling us. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There there it is. The sacrifice is incomplete. In fact, not only did the sacrifice not remove sin, it simply reminded people of it. Talk about awesome, right? So, So every time you, as a person, you with your family, you showed up to bring a sacrifice to offer to the Lord, what that was was a constant reminder that you are sinful and of the costliness of your sin. It was impossible, it says, for the blood of bulls and goats to take sin away. Now, now, now this is a little bit interesting, right? Because God was the one who set up the sacrificial system. And so it seems like, in a sense, God's saying, yeah, yeah, sacrifice these animals on behalf of your sin. But yeah, it doesn't really work. You know? God explains this. He goes on. Enter Jesus, verse 5. The explanation. Here's what it says. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Jesus here is quoting from Psalm 40. This is a quote from from Psalm 40, which which also closely is mirrored in Psalm Psalm 51. In verses 16 and 17 there, it says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God, at the end of the day, has never been primarily interested in sacrifices and in works. God has always been interested in the heart. God has never simply been interested in your deeds. So, so God's like, listen, you guys got it wrong. You, you, you think that I want something from you. You think I want you to do this thing. What I'm after is your heart. I, I don't want you just to do something for me. I, I want you to be in relationship with me. I want you to know me. I want you to encounter me. I want to share this life with you. I want you to love me out of my love for you. And so God comes to deal with our condition. He says, a body you have prepared for me. 
right? God, God, in other words, like God did this and he did it on purpose. It wasn't sort of like this whimsical kind of a thing. Like God was like, no, 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 this is how this is going to go. Jesus is affirming that sin is a problem to be dealt with, okay? He's, he's really sort of verifying what we read in Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so, so though we know from scripture that God is spirit, God enters into human history born into flesh. He becomes a man. Why? To deal with man's problem. Okay? So God takes on a body to offer a life that no one else could offer to deal with our sin condition. You could say it like this, that that Jesus had to be made like us so that by him we could be made like him. Let's keep going. Verses 7 to 9, it says, Then I said this, this is Jesus, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. He added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Jesus comes. He says, Listen, Father, I'm here to do what you sent me to do. I'm here to accomplish your will, which is to remove once and for all this barrier of sin that stands between us that stand before the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the people that God has made. He said, I've come to do this. I've come to do away with this old religious system, this way of works, this way of this way where only one person gets to be in your presence ever. I've come to do away with all of that and to usher in this new covenant of grace, this new covenant paid by my own blood. And in this one act, that of Jesus on the cross, Jesus does away with this old covenant of law and establishes this new covenant of grace, of relationship with God. The new covenant is better than the old, okay? Because it isn't based on your uh, ongoing work that God, it's based on Jesus' finished work for you that brings you to God and all you do is simply receive it. Now, now the rest of this passage really speaks to this finished work and, and, and the new covenant. Look at verse 10 because this is really good news. It says, and by that will, speaking about Jesus, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Everybody say once for all. Once for all. Two important truths for us to grab hold of in just these three words. The first one is that this sacrifice only needed to be made once. Okay? Jesus is not going to have to die ever again. Your sin does not mean Jesus has to keep dying. Once, that's all. Okay, one sacrifice. What hundreds of thousands of sacrifices could never do, Jesus accomplished with one sacrifice of himself. This is what verses 11 and 12 are saying to us. And they say, listen, every priest in that time, they stood daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. We talked about this before. He's comparing this old and new covenant, the old sacrifice versus Jesus. And he says, listen, the Old Testament priests, they never sat down because their work was never finished because there were always sacrifices to be made because sin was man's condition and he was never going to stop. So the offering went again and again and again to deal with this sinful condition of mankind. Now that's terrible, right? But Jesus shows up and Jesus makes one sacrifice and it says he sits down because he's done. Okay? We, we, Randy, I think, talked about it. there's no chair in the, in the tavern. There's no chair in the Holy of Holies. There's no place to sit down there. 
There's just too much work. So it's not a, a, a small thing to say that after Jesus' sacrifice, he sat down. Nobody sat down. No priest ever sat down. Jesus sits down because the work has finally come to an end, right? There aren't any more sacrifices. Every sin was dealt with by Jesus on that cross. Every sin, past, present, and future, right? Some of, us, we, some of us struggle with the idea of my future sin being paid for by the cross. I say this a lot, though, that all of your past sins were future sins when Jesus died, okay? So, so, so unless you're like, like 2,200 years old in this room, right? Like every sin that you ever committed in your past was in the future when Jesus died. That's how good the blood of Jesus is. It doesn't just reach backwards, it reaches forwards, okay? 1 Peter 3.18 says the same thing. It says, for Christ died once, or Christ died for sins once and for all. Jesus finished the work of paying for sin, and so he sat down, it says, at the right hand of God, which, which what we understand about that imagery is that, that sitting down, first of all, was a position of honor. Sitting down was a position that kings would take, that, that kings would be seated, but not just seated, but seated at the right hand, which well, the right hand specifically conveyed a place of favor and strength and victory and power. It's, it's to convey to us that, that Jesus didn't just, like, die, and, and then we have to be like, man, poor Jesus, you know? What it's saying is like, no, 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 Jesus died, and not only was he raised, but Jesus is now ruling and reigning forever as king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus is seated in heaven next to the Father. Jesus is seated on a throne as the king. That's who Jesus is. Yeah. Look at verse 13. It says, what's Jesus doing? Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Huh, what's that all about? Well, in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it tells us that, that God, that, that, that the Lord is waiting for more people. He's waiting for more people to, to hear the gospel, to hear the good news of his, of his truth and grace and forgiveness of his life and death and resurrection so that more people can enter into his kingdom. He's waiting for more before that door of opportunity is shut. And how many of you know that God's not waiting for his own sake? Right, like God's not just like, I don't really know what time, I don't really know. Like God, God's waiting for the sake of us. For, for the, because out of his love, out of grace, out of mercy, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, he says the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then he says the end will come. J Jesus wants more people to be in his kingdom. Amen, do we know that? Like of all the things we can get hyped up and excited about, the thing God's most excited about is people entering his kingdom. Yeah? Like, like that's the heartbeat of God. We can get excited about all kinds of stuff, about doing all kinds of good things. At the end of the day, what moves the heart of God is people coming into his kingdom. People being saved. That's the heart of God. This is, that's the first truth that happened once. The, the second one is where, where I'm going right now is that it's for all, right? Once and for all. Who's invited? Everybody's invited. Who was his sacrifice for? It was for everybody. Jesus invites everyone to receive his sacrifice for their sin. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you haven't done. You can have all kinds of stuff in your past. Addiction, lust, greed. Pick the thing. 
pride, right? Bad decisions, bad relationship. You, you can be on either side of the political aisle, right? You can be a Democrat. You can be a, a Republican. You can be a hypocrite. You can be all kinds of stuff. It doesn't matter where you come from. All of them, everybody is invited into God's kingdom and receiving his sacrifice. That, that, that's a pretty exceptional deal, yeah? And, and here's why. Because when you're the one who paid for it all, you get to decide who gets to come. Okay? Everybody's invited, and that includes you. Aren't you glad this morning? Yeah? This is the good news of the gospel of grace, that you get something you did not deserve. Not a single one of us in this room deserved Jesus' sacrifice for us. Not a single one of us in this room have earned the grace of God. Jesus gave that freely out of his love for us. And in that, he invites us to receive it. Look at verse 14. It says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Who who is the writer talking about here? He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Who is he talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about you, church. He's talking about you, sons and daughters of God. And he says that, listen, you have been perfected. Not, not you will be, you have been perfected. For how long? For, for all time, right? I'm not a numbers guy. All time, though, I'm pretty sure means all time, right? Like forever and ever and ever. You've been perfected in Christ forever. You say, well, I, I don't really feel perfect. I, I, I feel like I mess up. I feel like I sin. I feel like I still get things wrong. This perfection that he's talking about isn't about you not sinning. This is talking about God's forgiveness for your sin. That's what's perfect. So now in Christ, your standing in God is perfect. That God doesn't look upon you any longer according to your sin, but upon Jesus' sacrifice. So that as God looks at you, he doesn't see you as sinner. He sees you as a son. He sees you as a daughter. He sees that, that your position in him is now a position of Christ, praise God. That's your identity, okay? This is something that's really, really important for us to grab hold of because at the end of the day, everything flows from our identity, yeah? Everything flows from this understanding of who we are. You guys have heard me say this a lot, that your identity determines your activity, that what you believe, truly believe about who you are will determine what you do and how you live your life, Okay, this is why all throughout the New Testament, when you read the New Testament letters to the church, over and over and over and over again, more than 150 times, it, says, it talks about being in Christ. And the writers write to the saints, to the saints at this church, to the saints at that church, to the saints in this place, to the saints in that place, right? How, how, how many of you would consider yourself a saint this morning? Yeah? I, I mean, have you ever really used that word? Like somebody, you're like, yeah, I'm a saint. Right? Like somebody said that to you, you'd be like, you're pretentious, you know? You think a lot about yourself, right? A saint, eh, I know you a little bit, right? You're not that great, trust me, right? But, 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 but what we know about these letters, these New Testament letters written to these churches, is these weren't churches filled with amazingly awesome, spiritual, never-sinning people, right? In fact, what we know is contrary to that. We know that most of these letters are written to some messed up people, they're, 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 it's a mixed bag church, kind of like us, you know? Like, like this, you got all different kinds of people in the church, all different kinds of things going on in the church, right? And, and, and what's crazy ab- about that is that, that the writers continue to say, to you saints, I don't know, I'd probably use some different words to describe the church, right? 
You think maybe he would say, well, to you undeserving, wretched, sinful people, right? To, to, to you who don't get it all right, to, to you who are still guilty, but instead he says, no, to you saints, be, because if you are in Christ, if you've received his sacrifice and his salvation, that's who you are. When the apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he said, listen, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, Right? which means then the same thing of what I'm talking about. It means that because of Jesus in Christ, we are now seated in Christ's position. That's our position before God. At the cross, Jesus traded places with us. Jesus suffered and died in our place for our sin. So all the death and all the shame and all the condemnation and all the guilt, all that that we deserved, Jesus took upon himself. And, and all the forgiveness and all the love and all the grace of Jesus gets put onto us. That's a really good deal. Jesus became my sin and I become his righteousness. That's pretty amazing, yeah? That, that's something we as Christians and the church could get really excited about. That's something that ought to stir up our hearts. Let me ask you a question then. Does the Father love Jesus? Is the Father kind towards him? Is the Father gracious towards him? Is the Father's ear turned towards him? Is the Father with him and for him? Is the Father devoted to him and available to him? Listen then. If all of those things are true of Christ, then all of those things are true for you today as well. If you are in Christ, then you are seated in Christ's position, which means that you're loved as Christ is loved, blessed as he's blessed, embraced and adored as Christ is embraced and adored. I'm not saying you are Jesus, okay? Don't like show out somewhere and be like, listen, I'm Jesus, you know? I think there's a guy in Miami saying that right now. Like, what I'm saying is that you are in Christ, okay? You're seated in Christ's position. We gotta receive that so we can stop trying to perform for God and earn him. Okay, so that we can break free of religion and, and shame and condemnation and live out of our identity. You have been perfected, Scripture says, in Christ. So your identity is no longer sinner. Your identity is now saint. It, see, in the Bible, when you read the Bible, sinners are the people who are not a part of the kingdom of God. So when the Bible speaks about sinners, it's not those who are in. It's not the sons and daughters, okay? So Christians are, are those who have received the love and grace and forgiveness of God, who are now called saints, who are now called sons and daughters. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Not a better one, not a propped up version of the old crummy one. He's a new creation. The old things have passed away and, the, and have become new. You have been made new. So you're not just an old sinner saved by grace. I know that sounds really good, okay? Sometimes it makes us feel better. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, no, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're a saint of the most high. You're a new creation who is the righteousness of God in Christ, a saint who has been set free from the power and enslavement of sin. And though sin may now still explain some of your activity, sin does not define your identity in Christ. You may still sin some of the time, but you are a son or a daughter of God all of the time. And, and we know that the writer isn't talking about never sinning because the second part of that verse, he says that he's perfected those who are being sanctified. They are being sanctified. That's present tense, okay? That, that means you haven't arrived yet, yeah? You're still being transformed. How, how many of you are bold enough to say you know God's still got some stuff to work out in your life yet? 
Yeah? Like, like maybe you're not perfect. Yeah, we all admitted that earlier. So like we know we need to be sanctified. We know we're not there yet. And God's doing it. He says he will. He's working that out in us. And, and, and scripture tells us that, that every good work that he begins, he completes. We can trust in that work. So you've been made perfect, and yet you are becoming the thing you've been made. Okay, does that make sense? It's like marriage. Okay, I, I was at this a conference a long, long time ago, actually with Corey, and there was this old, old pastor who was there, and he said the greatest thing I've ever heard about marriage. He said that many, many years ago, I stood across from the most beautiful woman and before God, and I promised and devoted and committed my life to her. And in a moment, he says, I became a husband, and I've spent the rest of my life learning to be one. That, that's Christianity. Okay, in a moment, God saves us. In a moment, we're taken out of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light. In a moment, God redeems us. God adopts us into his family. And we spend our lifetime learning to be what we've been made. Man, God's good, yeah? Yeah. See, grace doesn't only save us, it changes us. That's what makes grace so Amazing. It's not just that grace saved you from hell. It's that grace transforms you to be like Jesus. Grace empowers you. Grace doesn't just save you from sin. It empowers you to overcome it. Let's keep going. Verses 15 15 and 16 say this. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. In other words, the new covenant is not one of external rules that are placed upon us, but of the Spirit of God who is within us now, leading and guiding and directing and changing us, giving a heart and a desire for the things of God to do the will of God. So, so now we don't live from the outside in, we live from the inside out. God is conforming our heart. And not only that, but look at these last two verses, verse 17 and 18, because these are really huge. It says, and then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. This is actually a quote from Jeremiah chapter 31, where, where, where the prophet is declaring to us all the principles and promises of the new covenant. You can read that sometime when you get a chance. But at the very end of that, in verse 34, this is the declaration of God. The declaration of this new covenant is God himself saying, I will remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. Now this isn't saying that the all-knowing, omniscient God is forgetful, okay? This isn't like, a, hey, sometimes God forgets, right? Like, like no, no, God knows everything all the time. What, what this is saying is that, that God chooses not to remember, that God chooses, that he will not bring up your sin to himself and he won't bring it up to you. He's not going to use your sin any longer against you or to condemn you with it. In fact, in Romans 8 verse 1, it tells, tells us, right, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. There's no condemnation. Not even a little bit of condemnation. So if you're in Christ and you're having thoughts of condemnation and you're li- sleeping and laying down on your bed at night and you're filled with all these, these feelings about yourself, well, I'm not this and I don't that and I can't this and, and, and all this I should have and I didn't and I wish I would have and all the accusations start hitting you and, and warring against you, you can know that that's not the Lord. We don't, Come to God in fear over our failure. Instead, we come to him like we read earlier in Hebrews 4, verse 16, where it says, we approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Confidence and fear look different, yeah? We approach his throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace 
to help us in our time of need. When we come to God our Father, we don't ever get condemnation. We get grace. We get grace when we come to the Father. Now, now, I'm not saying that God doesn't call us to turn away from any sin we have. Like, hey, there's grace, so just do whatever you want. We know Scripture doesn't teach that. Okay? But, 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 the, but what we know is that the Holy Spirit is going to bring about conviction and not condemnation in our life. You say, well, what's the difference? Let me tell you. Conviction comes from God and condemnation comes from the devil. Conviction makes you want to change and condemnation tells you, you that you never can or will. Conviction reminds you of your identity being in Christ and condemnation tells you that you're just an old sinner. Conviction leads you into hope and condemnation leads you into despair. Conviction leads and ends in joy and condemnation ends in sorrow. Conviction looks to Jesus to help you change. Condemnation tells you it's on you to do it. Hebrews 8 10 verse 18 then at the end here it says and where there is forgiveness of these forgiveness for sin forgiveness there is no longer any offering for sin what's he saying it's all grace it's not about you and what you did or didn't do it's all about him and what he has done and resting in that for your life this is what Jesus was pointing us towards with communion right have you ever thought about that like when Jesus gives out the bread and the cup, and we're going to share in that together this morning, but, but when Jesus passes the bread and the cup, he, he gives them, and he doesn't say, hey, hey, take this and remember how pitiful, wretched, blind, sinful you are, right? He says, no, 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 do this in remembrance of me. Do, do this, take this, and remember me. That's the focus. That, that's where our focus ought to be. See, the, the problem that, so many Christians have is that we often tend to remember what God calls us to forget and forget what God calls us to remember. Yeah. Jesus says, don't focus on your sin. I paid for that. Focus on your Savior. Because the most important thing for your life is not what you have done. It is what has been done for you by the cross of Christ. I'll tell you this. If you spend your life focused on your works and your sin, you will either spend your life living guilty and afraid or really proud. If you spend your life focused on you and what you've done and haven't done, you're either going to live out of such fear and guilt or you're going to live really proud, believing you're really something. Yeah. But, but if you spend your life focused on Jesus and his work, and his promises, you'll find yourself living humbly, gratefully, and securely in Christ. It's hard to be proud when you know that it was what Jesus did. And it's impossible to not be thankful when you recognize that the, just the amazing gift, the sacrifice that he made on behalf of you and your life and your sin. The grace that he extends to you for your life. The truth is, is that if you've been a Christian or you've been around the church for any some time, I'm probably not saying a whole lot that's new to you this morning. Probably this, a lot of this is stuff that you've heard before, yeah, but sometimes we just need to be reminded, right? We need to come back to the foundation of our faith in Christ. We need to remember 
that it's all about him. We need to receive his grace. Again, again, one of my favorite verses in Colossians chapter 1, it says that in the same way that you received him, remain in him. And so there's an invitation for us. If you haven't received the grace of Jesus this morning, it's available to you. Jesus died once for all. That includes you. And you don't have to work for it. You simply receive it. And if you've received the grace of God for your life this morning, God's invitation to you is to remain in it. Stay there. You don't ever graduate from grace. Okay, I'm going to have Noel come back up. We're going to close. And, and as I said, we're going we're gonna to actually respond with communion this morning. I think that's the appropriate way for us to respond to this message of God's grace and his sacrifice for us. And, and, and so we're going to do it a little bit different. If you've been around the edge at all in times of communion, we know that, you know that sometimes we mix it up. We do things a little differently. What I'm going to invite you to do this morning uh, is I'm going to ask that you come and, and receive the elements, the bread and the cup on either side, and bring them back to your seat. And we're actually going to just first just sit with those for a little bit as we, as we sing this song, as we just worship the Lord together, as we just set our heart and be reminded again of the goodness and the love of grace of God. This is a, a song that's called, Oh, Come to the Altar. And it's just this reminder that, man, we're just coming to this altar of God, that, that his arms are open for us, that his love is available to us, that his grace is unending for us, that, that we receive grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, that this is who we are in Christ. This is what God has done for us, and we rejoice in that. And so if you guys would stand with me, I'm going to pray for us, and then you're welcome to come and, and partake of the elements, bring them back to your seat. And like I said, just hold them there as we worship this last song, and then uh, we'll all share in taking communion together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus, for sin, total, complete, absolute. God, thank you for the grace that you pour out upon our lives. God, not because we deserve it, not because we're so good, not because we never mess up, God, but because you're so good and your love is so great. God, you invite us to you to come boldly to your throne to receive grace and mercy. God, I love your grace and mercy. God, I love the fact that we get what we don't deserve and we don't get sometimes what we do deserve, Lord God, that your grace and your mercy are just endless, that there's new mercy for us every day. God, I thank you, uh, Father, that, that you sent the Son because you loved us. And I thank you, Jesus, that you loved us enough to pour out your life for us. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, this morning that you fill us and empower us to live this life out, this life in Christ, to, to live a life of overcoming coming sin to the glory of God, to live this life filled with the life of God. Father, I pray that as we come and remember you, Jesus, this morning, as we remember your sacrifice, God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that, that you would minister in every single heart grace. God, that we'd be reminded again of your love and your grace. God, would you just do a work in our hearts, Lord, as we set our eyes on you, as we fix our hearts on you this morning. God, would you just meet us. God, would you meet us, every single person here in this place, Lord God, would you meet every single one of us. Come and have your way, Lord. Come and have your way in this time. God, we love you and we bless you this morning. In your name we pray, amen.